It's time to get up and get going, South Coast. It's time for the Tim Weisberg Show on WBSM. Also streaming live on WBSM.com and on the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message or a voicemail through the WBSM app. And now, ready to start your day off with a bang. It's Tim Weisberg. And welcome back in the third and final hour here on Monday morning. And when it's the third and final hour, first of all, before we turn on the light, I just want to say, I I mentioned to Jack, I I played Rolling Stones and we're going to play some Rolling Stones again. And as you pointed out, you can never have too much Rolling Stones. Not for me. Oh, hold on. Let me turn your microphone on. That's my fault. Not for me. I I love the stone. And, you know, I I was reading something over the weekend where it was a Loudwire article. I can say that because our company owns Loudwire. But it was about how Rolling, uh, how, Rolling Stones, how Guns N' Roses played a three-hour show uh, the other night. And it's like, can you believe at their age they're playing a three-hour show? And I'm like, the Rolling Stones play a three-hour show. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen plays a four-hour show. And they're both much older than, than uh, Guns N' Roses. Granted, I was going to say they haven't lived the same hard lifestyle, but Keith Richards. So I don't know. I, I saw an, an interesting interview with uh, Richards uh, recently, and he was talking about um, the early performances of both um, the Stones and the Beatles and being kind of stiff. And um, uh, little Richard went back to them and said, use the whole stage, mm-hmm. use the whole stage, use the mic, you know. And little Richard, as we all know, was just all over the place in his performances. And so so, so before, before I hit the Stones and we, we turn on the light, I am going to just use that to piggyback off a point that I, I meant to make earlier where I don't know if you heard that they announced that Usher is going to be the halftime performer did, for the I Super did. Bowl. And, of course, there's this this uh, whole thing about, well, what about the Foo Fighters? What about Metallica? Like, what are these mega bands that are going to get a chance? Why is it all these, you know, hip-hop and R&B artists that are going to get the chance? I don't think people have caught on to the very obvious fact that what the – committee that decides who's going to perform at the Super Bowl is looking for is a spectacle. They want multiple dance numbers. They want multiple costume changes. They want a whole bunch of backup dancers. And you're not going to get that as Metallica is standing in one spot playing Enter Sandman. As the Foo Fighters are standing there. And yeah, you're going to get you know Dave Grohl running around the stage, but it's not going to be the full-scale production. They want big, giant production numbers, which is why they go for artists that are Singers and dancers as well. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll push back on that a little bit. I, I, I get it that that, they, that that you can't have the big spectacle with uh, the white heavy metal bands. Um, I, I think it's just another example of the divisions in the country. You know, between people whose tastes are in white, you know, music and people whose tastes in is African American music, and it overlaps to some extent. But, but you know, I mean, in all honesty, the, the majority of the players are, are, are African American in the National Football League and the NBA. You know that's that's the reality of it. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I I just think that that um, uh, they can have a little bit of both, but I, I get it. The spectacle is better with the with the um, and the the halftime show isn't for the people that are already watching the game. <laughs> it's designed to get people to tune into the game that wouldn't have been watching it otherwise. That's what the halftime show is designed for. It's not supposed to be about the average guy who gets fired up yeah. every time he hears Aussies yeah. sing Crazy Train as the Patriots come out onto the field. Yeah, yeah, well, good point. So, I, I, I'm so tired of this of these culture wars between 
white America and in, in, in black America and in, in brown America and Asian America. I, I, I just, um, you know, it's America. What's it's the name? Be America. What's the name of the Sasquatch that has that song that everybody was flipping? Uh, Oliver Anthony. You know that guy there. I call him Sasquatch because he just literally looks like a Sasquatch standing out there in the woods. I'm not. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but. Uh, people were like pushing for him to play the halftime show. Dude has like one song that you know, yeah. and you want him to get out there and play for 15, 20 minutes in the halftime show. Yeah. And also, doesn't really look like the most dynamic performer. So, like, I don't think you understand what the halftime show is for. Yeah. It's it's very interesting. Just the the the, the uh, social media has just um, small d democratized everything, but not always in a good way. People who are very fringe voices now can have a big platform and can just sort of get that fringe voice out there, you know, through social media. And, and, and in fact, you can, uh, you know, the social media algorithms, as we've all learned, you know, sort of um, uh, cater to, to, to these kind of outrageous and, you know, far out opinions. And so I, I think somehow the megaphone seems louder for fringe views nowadays than it used to. But, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I'm accused of having fringe views on, on myself. So, Well, let's get into some of those fringe views because uh, <laughs> it is time to now turn on the light. We'll turn on the light with Jack. And you know what's funny, Jack, is that uh, that's two different eras of the Rolling Stones. That's, you know, 70s Rolling Stones with Shine a Light. And then I played 90s Rolling Stones with, and has anybody seen my baby? And back then, everybody was like, these guys are old. They won't be around that much longer. That was 30 years ago. <laughs> there's, there's so many different eras. Like, there was that whole thing with the Satanic Majesty's Request. Where mm -hmm. they, they, you know, were so, sort of following the Beatles and Sgt. Pepper. And, and, you know, they've been... But I think for the last uh, 30, 40 years, they've been back to their blues roots, which was, yeah. was always there. Yeah, the new, new album, you know, the new track from the new album sounds really good. And I think people are going to enjoy what that album will be. Although, do people buy albums anymore? No, they, they just download songs. And you know, I, I am so removed from the, the pop culture zeitgeist anymore. Like, you know, I, I still refer to them as albums. You know, I still collect things and, 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 and download music where nobody else is doing that anymore. Like, I still listen to my CDs. Um, you know, I, I think that the era that you grow up in is the is sometimes the era. I, I can't, I think... Um, Pop music for me like went up until the late '80s, maybe early '90s, and um, I just haven't kept up. Yeah, I, I know, I know a few things, but as they say, uh, everybody thinks everybody thinks two things. Everybody thinks that the music they listened to growing up was the best era of music, and everybody thinks that Saturday Night Live was the funniest when they were in high school. Yeah. those are the two. The yeah. two and I, and I can remember truths. making fun of my parents uh, on Frank Sinatra and in the in the big band stuff that they listened to. And now the younger generation, you know, makes fun of me. And I still love all that stuff. Uh, of course, I knew the minute I uh, the minute I mention one of the you know right wing darlings, I knew I was going to get the the hate hate messages. Bags in New Bedford says, "How do you hate somebody without saying you hate them?" Sasquatch. No, the guy looks like a Sasquatch. He's standing out in the woods. He's tall. He's got a big bushy beard. He looks like a Sasquatch. And also, don't act like you think that he's like the second coming of Bob Dylan. If that guy was singing that song in a bar, you'd be sitting there at the bar telling the guy, you turn around and tell him to shut up. <laughs> like, it's, it's not a good song, no matter what you think. It's not a good song. And also, he's not 
for the side that you think that he's for. So 508-996-0500. If you have questions for Jack, let's uh, take a phone call here. Good morning. You were on with Jack Spillane. Hello. When I was talking to James Hetfield. Uh, uh, Lamone, I can't. No. You had two phone calls already today, and it's not going to be on topic. We're not doing that today. Uh, you can save that for tomorrow. Lamone in Las Vegas is... Uh, I know Lamone. He's up late. <laughs> so he uh, he hasn't gone to bed yet. All right, so let's get into your latest column at newbedfordlight.org, which is about... Bastastor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really am on the verge of like risk of boring my readers because I've, I've been on it for six weeks. Um, the numbers, you know, we, nowadays digitally you can, you can measure the numbers on anything and the numbers keep coming in. That's not why I do them, but, but, but uh, uh, people are still interested in it. Um, and I think there's still stuff to report. My, my column this morning talks about this issue has been framed as one about the money that UMass Dartmouth can't afford it. And I really explored whether they can or not. I asked them to break down the numbers for the $70 million of, $75 million of work that allegedly needs to be done at the Star Store, um, the $700 million on the main campus. And they had a hard time breaking it down for me. And to me, if you already have those numbers at your fingertips, you ought to know, well, this much is for this building, that much is for that building, this much is for air conditioning, that much is for doorways. You know, they don't really seem to have that. And... The other thing is they, they present that number as if it's all, ha- all that work has to be done at once. If you've been in the Star Store, and I've been in there many times, that building is in much better shape than most of the buildings in downtown New Bedford. I got to tell you, it's, it's been, you know, revamped. You know, the, it definitely has some problems with the roof, you know, but it, it's not in terrible, terrible shape the way that they allege. And, and so I, I really explore that this really has to do with the way the state is funding is building and maintenance systems, and it's funding them, trying to do it through the tuition, the fees, and the capital bequests that very wealthy people give to them, such as when you find the child, fund the Charlton School of Business or something like that. So I, I think that, that we've seen UMass Amherst you know, get more and more money. Uh, uh, they are uh, a much bigger school, a much older school. They were able to buy the Mount Ida campus right in UMass Boston's backyard without blinking. You know, uh, uh, we had a comment on my uh, column this morning. They said, well, yeah, that's because UMass Amherst is a research one university and brings in more money. Yeah, that's fine. Good for them that they bring in more money. But I think that if the state is going to run universities in far-flung areas of the state, whether it's the Lowell area or the North Shore, down here in southeastern Massachusetts, in Boston itself, then it ought to fund those those universities the way it does fund the state college system, like Bridgewater, Salem State, Fitchburg State, those places. And they're not doing that the same way they used to. And, and I think that's why they can't afford the Star Store. So that's what I explored this morning. And, you know, you also talked a little bit in this piece, and you've talked about it with us in the past, about that they could do a better job of recruiting for the CVPA, um, no matter where it is. So if, it, if, it's, if it's going to be in Bed Bath & Beyond forever, they could do a better job of recruiting for it uh, and in all these other buildings that they're placing it in. But you feel that there's just a reluctance to do that overall, that they, just, do. they I, just don't want that course load, they, co- they, coursework. They, they don't want the fine arts school. They don't, they don't think it, it attracts students. They, they, they're not interested in it, the people that run the university. You can tell just by the way they talk. I've always found it useful, and I know you all like this, Tim, because you're a talker. Um, I don't base my reporting on the press releases. You know, the press releases are, are, are the lazy man's 
you know, a lazy woman's way of reporting. Um, uh, I talked to the people and the faculty at the College of Visual and Performing Arts, many of whom won't put their names to it because they can get fired or, or, or relegated to, to unhappy circumstances at the school. You know, tell me that UMass Dartmouth has not replaced faculty have, have, that have retired in the, in the Star School. They have not gone out to the artisan fears to recruit you know, the craftspeople to come to the school. And then they complain that the enrollment is down. So, you know, it's a chicken and the egg question. You know, if you're not interested in it, if you think that, oh, we have more kids coming to um, uh, major in um, uh, interior decorating and fashion design, which are, I don't have anything against those things being run. You can even run them in the Star Store, as I think they did the fashion design program. But those programs came from Mount Ida College. That's, let's be honest. That's where they came from. The fine arts programs have been here a lot longer. The, the UMass Dartmouth wanted that intern, UMass Amherst rather, wanted that internship campus in Boston, even though they could have worked it right out of UMass Boston and had a much better sister school relationship with UMass Boston. So when they, when they closed Mount Ida again abruptly, just as they closed the UMass Dartmouth uh, New Bedford campus abruptly, they had no place to put those students. And so they put them down in New Bedford. It, it, you know, it, it, it looks to me like it, it was just like, yeah, we, we think we can get more money out of this. I'm not against the schools making money. I think it's good. If you can run a program that makes you money, that's fine. But that doesn't mean programs that don't make as much money shouldn't be run. It doesn't mean that the English majors, which full disclosure, I was one, or the um, fine arts majors, you know, there isn't a place for them. I think there is. Do you think that if... If the fine arts was something where they were getting more alumni donations out of the graduates of that program, would they look at that differently? Absolutely, they would. And and again, I, I'm not um, uh, an anti-capitalist. I'm not a person who is against dollars and cents. You know, I, I think that that's a big part of it, but it's not the only thing. And they're using it as the only equation, so much so that they could use the fact that the that that the Downey money wasn't funded. You know, and I still have my suspicions as to whether the Downey money wasn't funded, as to whether Senator Martigny really is committed to the school anymore, or whether he's bought into the UMass Dartmouth argument that it's not affordable and was looking for a way out, and blaming Downey was a convenient way of doing it. You know, I, I like Senator Martigny. I, I actually agree with him on his political philosophy more than almost any other delegation member, but I, 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 I don't think that his logic has added up here and, and I, i'll just say a word I'm, I'm i'm virtually the only local media person out there criticizing the establishment and um uh, that's fine i'm happy to do that I, that's kind of been my role throughout my career but i i do feel that um i i feel that the media has a responsibility even for people who are in power you know that we that we need to have access to i i, I just feel like we have a responsibility to call it as it is and 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 so, you know, maybe if that sounds like I'm patting myself on the back, then I'll plead guilty. And still silence from the governor on this. Yeah. So she has uh, said two things. Uh, the first time she said that she was aware of the concerns and that uh, that was all she was going to say. And then later she said that she was aware that um, Senator Martigny continues to speak with uh, the UMass Building Authority and the Division of Capital Asset Management and Maintenance, which are those two alphabet agencies that really uh, had this crucial role in killing the, 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 you know, if you listen to Chancellor Fuller, he says that they flat out would not let, let him 
let him take the, the um, university for a dollar because they thought it was too expensive to maintain. And meanwhile, he has all these other buildings that are expensive to maintain. So why are those buildings worth more than the New Bedford campus? I think it's also a bias against investment in the gateway cities. You know, this is an investment over 20 years that has worked fine, that has been successful. And because it's not perfect, they're looking for a way to, to, to kill it. And, and, you know, as long as I have a voice, I'm going to keep talking about it. We have to take a break in a moment, but if a university and, and, and a small university, like let's face it, UMass Dartmouth is a small university. If a university has almost a billion dollars in maintenance needs, would you say that that university is being properly run? Well, UMass Dartmouth has a, a couple of problems. One is they built the whole campus all at once. And so all of its buildings, which are now 50 or 60 years old, are coming, you know, needing their maintenance all at once. I could, you could say it's not being properly run, and I think there is some criticism there. You could also say the state legislature has failed to, to adequately fund the maintenance um, over these past 50 or 60 years. The Boston Globe, is, as far back as 2013, wrote an article that the state of Connecticut, which is a little more than half as big as population-wise as New Bedford, a little more than that, but spends twice as much money on higher education. You can just see it on the athletic programs. UConn programs have always been top rate. UMass ones have, have, have struggled. They just don't put the money into higher education in Massachusetts. A lot of people think that's because there is the, high, the Ivy League schools. It's because the Catholic schools like, such as Boston College and, and Holy Cross are, are, are preeminent schools. But that doesn't mean that, that the public university system, which is the university system that is really for the working class, that allows you know, people who couldn't afford to go to other schools to have a, a college education, doesn't deserve to be funded. I think it does. Is it because they believe the rumors that the campus was designed by a devil worshiper? Oh, the brutalist <laughs> campus, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's, it's, a, it's a legend that's been around for a long time, but it has been fully you know, I, I'm, I mean, I'm only teasing about it's, that. It's sort of like Boston City Hall. I get the art of it. I get that it's... Well, same, same architect. It's, 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 yeah, I get that it's beautiful. I don't know that it's functional. I don't know that they should have built the whole university that way. And it is, um, has major structural problems now. So, you know, I don't know, maybe they, they need to start looking at, rebuilding some of it they certainly do but 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 i don't think that means that you can't run the the the, the downtown arts campus the successful arts campus that has brought so much to the city that has changed the very reputation of new bedford made it one of the top 10 artists small cities to live for artists in the country that that's that's a recent phenomenon new bedford has basically rebranded itself largely because of the of the arts uh campus and 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 UMBA, the UMass Building Authority, and DCAM, the Division of Capital Asset Management and Maintenance, just don't take that into their equation. All right. Well, we do have to take a break here. When we come back on the other side, we'll have the news coming up, and then we're going to talk about the Zyterian and its proposed 99-year lease, and we'll take more of your phone calls at 508-996-0500. Right back with more with Jack Spillane in just a few moments. All right, welcome back in. We're going to be talking more with Jack Spillane, more turning on the light, and more of your phone calls at 508-996-0500 coming up in just a few moments. We'll talk about the Zyterian. We'll talk about the 99-year lease that the Zyterian is looking for and the concerns that some of the city council have with that 99-year lease. Uh, and what that would mean for the money that the Zyterian is trying to raise to be able to complete this $32 million restoration, which I've seen the plans for, and you've probably seen them. New Bedford Light had them all uh, extensively, but it's going to be, it's going to 
revolutionized the Zyterian. And is that possibly in danger because of this proposed lease? So we'll talk about that and more with Jack. But right now, it is time to go into the newsroom with Phil Devin. Good morning. There appears to be some good news today when it comes to the Writers Guild of America strike. A tentative agreement with Hollywood's top studios has been reached. The Guild released a statement Sunday saying the deal was made possible by the enduring solidarity of members and extraordinary support of union siblings. While union members still need to formally vote to end the walkout, actors will continue their strike until the SAG after union also reaches a deal with studios. President Biden is set to join the United Auto Workers picket line this week. He'll travel to Michigan Tuesday to stand in solidarity with the men and women of that union as they fight for a fair share of the value they helped create. That's what Biden said in a statement. It comes as the union recently expanded its strike to 20 states after no substantial progress was made with the big three automakers on a new contract. UAW workers say they want a 40% pay increase, cost of living adjustments, and pensions for all workers. The House GOP conference is scrambling to come up with a legislative plan to avoid a government shutdown. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says he's optimistic that some sort of deal will be worked out ahead of the September 30th deadline. The renewed push comes after two previous efforts to unite Republicans around a stopgap funding resolution failed. Ophelia has weakened after bringing heavy rain and gusty winds to the northeast over the weekend. Forecasters say the post-tropical cyclone that made landfall in North Carolina Saturday will bring rain to states including Pennsylvania, New York, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts, that's for sure, through the start of this work week. Your full forecast coming up. Folks will be able to order more free COVID-19 tests starting today online. The federal government relaunching its program to provide free COVID tests now that most insurance companies aren't covering the cost with the expiration of the pandemic emergency declaration over the spring. And the Nun sequel is exceeding expectations while the latest expendable sequel proving to be expendable. The Nun 2 tops the weekend box office for the third straight week and passed the $200 million mark in global earnings. The Nun 2 made only an estimated $8.4 million, but it was enough to top Expendables 4 and their total of $8.3 million in its opening weekend. It was a nice weekend to get inside and watch a movie, wasn't it? In sports, the New England Patriots beat the New York Jets 15-10 to on Sunday. Next up, an October 1st game with the Cowboys and the Boston Red Sox. Lost to the Chicago White Sox on Sunday, 3-2, to a game with the Tampa Bay Rays tomorrow night. Now we head to the ABC6 Weather Center for your forecast. We're going to be looking at a rather dreary day today. Periodic showers and drizzle all day long. And a little bit of a gusty northeasterly wind, 10 to 20 miles per hour, and could have a few gusts getting up to near 30 miles per hour. Look for high temperatures to be struggling to reach right around 60 degrees. It'll stay cloudy and breezy overnight tonight. Still a shower or some spotty drizzle in the area. Lows in the mid-50s. But tomorrow, look for a good deal of clouds. But we should have some sunshine breaking through at times. From the ABC6 Weather Center, I'm meteorologist Bill Guile on New Bedford's News Talk Station, 1420 WBSM. It's 61 degrees and rainy out there. Time now is 8.33. I'm Phil Devitt for WBSM News. Stay up to date with New Bedford's News Talk Station, WBSM. And get breaking news alerts with the WBSM app. Get breaking news alerts. Stream audio. Send us text messages 
and get live traffic and weather updates all on the WBSM app. Download it now from your app store or at WBSM.com. And before we turn the light on again, turn it back on with Jack Spillane. You know, with a day like today, the rain is coming down. It's uh, it's a little bit cold. It's windy. You're probably realizing all those drafty spots you have in your home. Maybe it's, maybe it's your roof is leaking. Maybe the door is not as uh, protecting you from the elements outside as it used to be. Maybe you need some new weather stripping. Maybe you just need a brand new entry door. Maybe your windows are drafty and leaking and need to be replaced. All of that and more can all be done by Precision Window and Kitchen in New Bedford. They've been doing it for a long time. They do it right. They're the guys that the other guys go to to get the materials that they need because not only do they have so much in their showroom at 1111 Acushnet Avenue in New Bedford, but they're actually behind the showroom making all this stuff, putting together cabinets, putting together doors and windows, making that double pane glass. So they do it all right there. And if you want to go there and talk to them, they'll be happy to discuss with you how they can make your home safer, better, warmer, drier, and more like the home that you envision. It doesn't just have to be something structural that you need to have replaced or fixed. It can be something that you just say, hey, I'm tired of looking at this bathroom. I'm tired of this kitchen not working for me the way that I need it to. They can give you the home that you envision in your mind. When you go over there and you talk to them, they're going to be able to spend some time with you and determine exactly what it is that you want to do, what it is that you can afford to do, and they can get it done right. You can also go on their website, precisionwindowandkitchen.com, and you can see some examples of their work. You can see some of the materials they work with, and you can sign up to have them come to your home and give you a free estimate. If it's something small, like replacing a pane of glass or fixing a busted screen, they're going to just come over. They're going to take that back to the shop, fix it, bring it back to you, and reinstall it. You don't have to go pick it up and then bring it home and worry about trying to get it in there correctly. They're going to do all of it for you. But if it's a bigger job than that, certainly you're going to want it in the hands of the professionals and the professionals that the other professionals go to. So precisionwindowandkitchen.com is the place to learn more about it or stop by and see them again. 1111 Christian Avenue in New Bedford, Precision Window and Kitchen Incorporated. So, Jack, let's talk about the Zyterian because it is now closed. They have taken a lot of things out of the theater already. They've been auctioning off the seats. They've been, they removed the sounds. Everything is coming out of there. They're doing all of their programming on the road for the next two years as they're looking to do a refurbishing of that theater, a $32 million restoration you and I have seen the renderings of what's expected. This is going to put the Zyterian in a whole different class. I mean, we already know it's a great venue, a great facility. This is going to put it right up there with some of the other major places around the, the, the Commonwealth and, and as well as Rhode Island. Yeah, for, for the life of me, I don't understand why the city council is giving the Zyterian a hard time on this. Uh you know, it's it, the two biggest, and I said this in my column this morning, the two biggest successes in downtown revitalization in the last 30 years are the Zyterian Theater and the College of Visual and Performing Arts. And for reasons that it's hard to understand, there are people who just want to hate on them and, and give them a hard time. I know the councils always say they don't hate the Zyterian, but they, they're, they're, they have heartburn about this 99-year lease. But really, if you think about it, who else is going to go into that building? It's a city-owned building. They're not knocking down the doors to run a performing arts center. Most cities the size of New Bedford. Brockton doesn't have this kind of a venue. Lawrence doesn't have this kind of a venue. Fall River doesn't have this kind of a venue. Most cities the size of New Bedford would give their eye teeth to have this kind of a, 
a venue, and, and I don't know who else is going to go in there. So you, you say you don't want to give them a 99-year lease. Who else you, you, Who else would you give the lease to? There's nobody else knocking down the doors. They, 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 they think that this will bring them to the next tier, the next level of quality programming. I, I don't know why you wouldn't want to do that. And if you have someone in there for that, I mean, again, this comes down to, as, as Rosemary Gill explained in the, in the article at NewBedfordLight.org, you know, some of these folks that are going to be giving them the money they want to know that there's going to be a long-term plan in place. And if it's going to be the Zaitarian group anyway, like, why are you getting yeah. in the way of this? It seems like you're doing it just to be obstructionist. Well, I'll just give the example of the Star Store. You end up putting $63 million into that building for 20 years and now get nothing out of it because the state can't, can't see its way to taking it for a dollar. You know, so a 20-year lease is not going to work. You know, someone who's going to invest that kind of money, give those kind of grants to you, wants to know that it's going to be there after they're gone. Um, you know, I, I, this, the, the, the um, suggestion has been made that maybe 50 or 60-year lease might do it. I don't know enough about these kinds of things as to what you need to, to, to really have a, a long-term commitment. But I, I know that 20 years goes by really fast. I was here for the whole 20 years of the, st the Star Store, and... A long-term lease is, is what you need to know if you're going to attract big money, get big money. That sounds very Warren Commission-like because 50, 60 years, most of the members of the council won't even be around when that lease is up. What difference does 60 make versus 99? No, I, I mean, I, I understand the city council takes their role of, you know, being a, a check and balance on the, the administration. And that, that is their role. And I don't have any problem with that. But it's a check and balance. It is not a shadow mayor. It, it is not like, oh, well, we really wish we could be mayor. And this is what we would do if we were mayor. So it, it's a check and balance. It's, it's like the Supreme Court nominations or, or even the mayoral nominations. It isn't substitute your vision of who you'd like to be in the position. It's, is this person qualified? Are they generally good? Do they comport with the mayor's philosophy? He's the mayor. You're not. The, the, you know, the mayor's plan is the Zaitarian is a big part of the future of the downtown. You know, you have heartburn about that, then, you know, run for mayor and win. Uh, but you haven't. And, and, and so I, I just don't get it. There's, there's nobody else pounding down the doors to run that theater. They say that we have the same issue with the state pier. Um, that was a little more complicated because there were multiple parties involved in it. But, you know, you want a 99 year lease in order to get the, the funding. Uh, and, you know, I'm not an expert on these kinds of things, but I don't know why I should. I don't know that the counselors that are second guessing it are experts either. And I just I think they're taking their check and balance role a little bit too far. One of the things that I found interesting in reading in this article was that the original proposed lease had a provision in it where after 99 years, the Zaitarian could buy the theater from the city for a dollar. And they took that out. <laughs> you can't make it up. You just can't make it up. You know, people have often said New Bedford can't get out of its own way. I think the Star Store and the Zaitarian are two examples, and you could add the state peer possibly, uh, of New Bedford not being able to get out of its own way. Everybody has known that bringing the arts to New Bedford is a key to economic revitalization. Everybody has known that putting retail shops and restaurants down on that state pier right across from the downtown is the key to bringing in more tourists. And yet they haven't been able to get it done for years and years and years. The same goes with the Zaitarian Theater. We, we should, could have been further along with that from now. There's money around. Some of it's around because of ARPA. Some of it, you know, the, 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 the pandemic relief uh, the Zaitarian has proven itself to the point where someone wants to give it money, a private party, 
Why would you try to get in the way and substitute your judgment for that? It's just a little bit too much ego in the city council, in my opinion. One of the criticisms I hear from residents of the city and people from the South Coast is that the Zaitarian gets a lot of money for a, a place that doesn't bring in the acts that the common people of New Bedford would want to see. So you're, 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 you're creating programming that goes toward the, the upper crust, say, and that you're not bringing in the Van Morrisons, the, the John Mellencamps, the people who are playing, playing the PPAC. And I don't think what people understand is that you need to have this upgraded equipment and these upgraded facilities in order to get those acts because the act would say, why would I go play that theater when I can go play this theater, you know, 25 miles away? Yeah, and, and, and I have to look at the plans more because I know the Zaitarian stage has been undersized. And I, my understanding, I'm not sure. So th- in this right. phase, the stage won't be changing at all. Yeah. But that is a phase two plan down the line okay. to be able to, to yeah, improve that, the stage. Yeah, because that's one of the things they need to get some of those acts. I think the criticism that it was elite programming may have been true in the early days when the Z was first revamped. But it hasn't been true for a long time. As I've said on this program before, I saw a Queen replica band there this summer. You get all kinds of, of, of blue-collar acts, you know, uh, heavy well, metal. Tape t- face t- isn't t- exactly music. highbrow entertainment. What? Tape face. Yeah. So I, I don't really get that. Uh, I think that, you know, people who make that criticism have not seen the, prog- the disease programming in the last four or five years. I think they've gotten much more of the people. They need to do even more. Um, I think there is just um, a lot of resentment of the downtown in some circles of the city. You hear it mostly from the city council, and, you know, I, I don't really get that. You wouldn't argue, oh, we put too much money into Boston Common. We really need to put more money into the parks in Dorchester and, and, and Brighton. You wouldn't hear, oh, all the monuments in Washington, D.C., why is not more, more, more money spent on the outlying neighborhoods of Washington, D.C.? You, would, you wouldn't hear that. The, the heartbeat of any city of any size is always the downtown. When the downtown is thriving, it's not just people who live downtown that go there. It's people from all the neighborhoods, all the suburbs that go there. I, I, I just think this, 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 this resentment is really kind of an, an, an anti-elitism, an anti-intellectualism, as if somehow the people who live downtown are, are, are different than the rest of us who live in different parts of New Bedford. I don't, I don't, I don't really get that. Well, I mean, you you live down there. Is it, are you different? Well, I, I live downtown now, but I haven't always. Right, you know, but I, you, you, you're there. You see it. You know the people aren't really any different there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, you might say I'm very different, but 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 uh, I don't know. I, I think I think that, that there's a lot of working people downtown. There's a mix. It's a mixed neighborhood. Certainly not everybody who lives downtown is wealthy. Um, there are some wealthy people in a few condominiums. There's many low-income housing establishments there. There's, there's, there's run-of-the-mill single-family homes like I live in. Yeah, I think it's a great uh, mix. Uh, um, I, I think it's a, a healthy mix. I, I just don't get the resentment of it that you hear. All right. Well, uh, I do have to take a break, but um, before before we do, um, one one person who I don't think was quoted in the story, but just uh, reached out to us, Councillor Abreu. Councillor Ian Abreu says that he is in support of the 99-year lease. All right. So there we go. We have uh, we have uh, more that we can discuss about that with you at 508-996-0500. But I've got to take a break here. We'll be back with more with Jack Spillane in just a few moments. <laughs> 
All right, welcome back in. Uh, we are turning on the light with Jack Spillane, and uh, I have a little bit more information from Councillor Abreu uh, to read for you. The, this is um, just a little bit more behind what he said. So he supports the 99-year lease. He says the Z and its resident companies, the New Bedford Symphony Orchestra, the New Bedford Festival Theater, together provide a greater than $10 million annual economic impact in addition to the cultural and educational benefits that the performing arts provide to all of us, but especially local school children. The Z also supports 338 jobs at city businesses and 118 at the Z, the NBSO, and the Festival Theater. And uh, while all of that is important, I want to point out especially what the Z provides to school children because there's a, a majority of the programming that they have there is educational. And they're working on... I went through the whole tour where they took you behind the scenes and they're talking about the future plans. They're going to be increasing that space and being able to increase the programming that they offer, not to just New Bedford school children, but to school children all across the South Coast. Yeah, I, I agree with everything Councillor Abu said on that. And, and um, my question again would be, those who don't want the 99-year lease, what, what, who, who is knocking down the door to put something in there? Who, who you, what, 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 what would you rather put? What, what are you worried about that we'll miss? Right. It, it just seems odd that you're okay with 60 years, but 99 just seems too much. It's just, what's, what's the We're difference? We're all going to be gone either way. <laughs> right. 508-996-0500 if you want to call in with any thoughts or comments for Jack Spillane. Uh, also, want to let you know, too, it's a nice rainy day, right? So what are you going to do? How about go out and get some breakfast? And why not stop by just another Phoenix restaurant in North Dartmouth? They're right there on Fonts Corner Road. It is a place where you can not only get all of your breakfast favorites, but where you can also get unique and innovative ideas. And what I find fascinating about it is they can kind of go through it without really having to have the same thing twice. Now, they will have the same thing twice because people love them and people want to have those favorites again. But also, they just never seem to run out of ideas. Let me just tell you, Jack, some of the creative things that they had over the weekend. How about cookie crumble French toast? Hmm? Meatball and mozzarella omelet? I mean, I've probably made that myself a few times, but it was more out of necessity. Uh, double chocolate pancakes, a southern omelet with sausage, onion, pepper, salsa, and cheddar cheese. And this is the one that I would have gotten had I gotten up early enough to go out to just another Phoenix this weekend, but I, I slept in after having run around all the last couple of weekends. But check this out. Deep dish apple crisp French toast. Wow. That sounds like a meal and a meal that would have got your day start off right and probably would have filled you up for the entire day. So that's just some of the stuff that you can get at Just Another Phoenix located on Fawns Corner Road in Dartmouth. Stop by, check them out. And remember, you can get their entire menu available through their takeout window if that's easier for you. All right. Well, we're in talking about the Zyterian too, you mentioned, you know, you don't want to lose that and lose the Star Store because that would just decimate uh, that area of downtown and, and, and the arts presence they're, downtown they're a block from each other i i, I just shout out to think the restaurants the the coffee shops uh even the gift shops uh uh that that are dependent on that um for the longest time you had the whaling museum in the historic district but the uh, revival of new bedford hadn't made its way up the hill i think with the progress that the zyterian made and the arrival of the star store that changed and for people to be so glib so just like, you know, uh, uh, 99 years, I don't know if we want to give them a 99-year lease. I, you know, I, I just don't, I don't really get it. Well, why don't we take our final break of the morning, and, or at least of this program, and we'll be back in just a few moments. <clears throat> and welcome back in. Our final few moments of turning on the light with Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light. Jack, I got to ask you, what are you working on this week? 
So I, um, I think I, I've gone far enough on this. I'm, I'm working on a, a, I think I mentioned this before, a piece on a park in New Bedford that is sort of um, uh, Dyer's Field that is, is, is probably hasn't gotten the attention that a lot of other parks have gotten. But there's a, an interesting uh, softball league uh, up there that we're going to do a portrait and a video of. Uh, uh, Eleonora Bianchi, a great videographer that we have at the New Bedford Light, is working on it with me. So... Uh, that's what that's. I, I'm hoping it will come to fruition this week. And do you have any ideas of what you're going to do next Monday when you're filling in for me? Uh, that that I'm not sure yet. Uh, we'll we'll be on the guest hunt. I think for for someone interesting to come in and, and, and talk. So I'll be here next Monday, but I've got some other things I need to do here uh, in the building. So Jack's going to be here filling in for me. So I might I might pop yeah. in and harass you a little yeah, bit. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll do a little bit of an election show and. It'll be close to the election by then. And yeah, that's true. We'll just analysis. be uh, we'll just be about a little over a week away from the preliminary. So, uh, do you have any any predictions about how those preliminaries will go? No, no. I was just talking off here with uh, Marcus. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, it's hard to call. I think we have some strong um, challenges in the at large race. Uh, 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 Scott Lima, uh, Bruce Duart Jr., former Ward Four Councilor, and Devin Burns. Uh, a prominent uh, downtown um, restaurateur, I think, uh, are all people to watch. Who do you think makes it into being Mayor Mitchell's challenger in the general? That is a good question. The la- last time it was um, Tyson Moultrie. He had a little bit of adverse publicity. Uh, that is a good question. <laughs> I- I'm not sure. I mean, I was I was reading some of the profiles uh, South Coast Today had, and I'm looking at it and... Definitely some uh, some interesting agendas. Yeah, as to why some of these folks yeah. are running. Mike Jansen has some name recognition. You know, uh, uh, I mean, I, in all honesty, as I've said, I don't think any of these candidates are going to come close to defeating John Mitchell, uh, nor should they, in my opinion. But but um, we'll see. Yeah, a little over a week away. Well, no, two weeks away from that. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll uh, certainly follow along with that. Marcus and Chris are all over that too. South Coast Now coming up. Stay tuned for that. I'll be back tomorrow. Hey, check out my article at WBSM.com and on the app.